Welcome to another Inside Lyme podcast with your host, Dr. Daniel Cameron. As many of you know, May is Lyme Disease Awareness Month, and we're kicking off the month with a particularly important topic. We'll be discussing the many presentations of the erythema migraines rash, also known as the bullseye rash, which is indicative of Lyme disease. Good evening, Dr. Cameron. Thank you for joining us. And thank you, Darlene, for leading the discussion. Now, this study looked at 271 Lyme disease patients who had an EM rash. Can you, can you talk to us a little bit about the, the study? Well, in this case from Johns Hopkins, you couldn't be in a study unless you met that criteria. Often in a study, they have very rigid criteria, has to be two centimeters and has to have certain, uh, certain rules like they couldn't be sick longer than three months, uh, or at least they couldn't have a rash for more than three months. So it's a, it's a very narrow, defined group of 271 adults, not children, not adolescents. Uh, so we learn what we can from this kind of study. So the patients were part of a, a longitudinal cohort study from three sites, right, in Maryland and southeastern Pennsylvania. Um, in addition to the size of the rash, they had acute illness. So they, they had early Lyme disease. Is that correct? But in this case, they wanted to keep it simple. There's so much to be learned by their description of the EM rashes because it gets us ready to look for rashes this summer. You know, I'm, I'm uh, so excited to actually talk about this topic because so many people just look for that rash as an indicator that they have Lyme disease. And as a, the mother of a child with Lyme disease, also children have a particularly uh, challenging time because a lot of times those rashes can be hidden in their hairline or behind their ears and they're difficult to, to locate and to see. Can you tell us, I guess, start off and tell us a little bit about what the uh, EM rash is? Generally, it's considered a, an infection in the skin. Although sometimes I find that it's more of inflammation from the skin. It could be that it goes into the body and then comes back out into the skin. It's been difficult for them to try to grow the spirochete from the erythema migraine rash Westchester Medical Center, they think they can get a fair number of people with a positive culture. And even then it's tricky because they have to have special techniques and they have to, and they have to take weeks to uh, culture it long past uh, when you present with the rash. In general, it's more of what you see is what you get, not uh, something you can do a diagnostic test on. Can you describe for the listeners what the EM rash typically looks like? Well, the CDC talks so much about an, an erythema migraine rash that looks like a bullseye, where they have some redness in the center, then the skin seems to clear out, and then another red circle outside. In previous studies, of all the rashes that have been looked at, only about one out of four have that type of appearance. But because uh, it's talked about so much, uh, I often see patients who think they have a, have a bullseye rash or a doctor is relatively dismissive of a rash that doesn't look like a bullseye. This kind of research at least reminds the reader of the diversity of rashes and not to look the other way when you see these other kind of rashes. Can you culture Lyme disease from, from an EM rash or from, can you culture Lyme disease from a rash? Essentially, you don't really see anybody culturing it except for in a research setting. 
And where, let's, let's talk a little bit about the basics of, of, the, of the Lyme disease, of the EM rash. Um, when does it typically appear and how long does it last? Well, rashes um, can happen within three weeks to maybe two or three months, most rashes. As soon as a rash shows up like six months later, a year later, we don't know if it's connected to the tick bite. You might not even see a tick. It's frustrating when you can't be sure when the infection took place. Very few people actually see the tick that tells them uh, to start looking for a rash. And the rash does not always appear at the site of a tick bite, right? I think that's one mis misconception. The tick can show up uh, in so many locations. And uh, sometimes uh, you actually see a tick and the rash is someplace else, or you don't see a tick at all. You just see a rash. Uh, sometimes you think, well, why is that rash showing up? And I'm pretty sure I never saw a tick in that area. You mentioned earlier in children is that uh, sometimes if it's in the hairline or in, in the head or around the ears, it can kind of follow um, a rather odd pattern. It's difficult to uh, be sure those rashes are Lyme disease, but it's very important that you don't overlook a Lyme disease rash because that's sometimes a, the only thing you have. And will all rashes advance to a disseminated rash? Will a person develop multiple rashes? Or In this study, uh, one out of three rashes were multiple, which is higher than you might expect, higher than what I see. That means two out of three just had a single solitary rash and the rash disappeared. The reason multiple rashes are important is there is a type of Lyme called early disseminated. Early means it's still early. It's still relatively easy to treat. Rashes don't tend to grow in size. Uh, they, they did in this study some of the time, but I often find the rash doesn't increase in size. So by putting a little line around the rash, it's often disappointing. People are looking at that rash, hoping that it would grow. It stays the same, the rash disappears, and they miss their opportunity to treat Lyme disease. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the, the um, findings from this study? The, the authors mentioned that the males actually had la larger rashes than females. Yeah, they picked two inches as the official size. And since, since men in this study had a larger rash, they were concerned that women with a smaller rash might not get recognized. They might even fall below the two inch uh, in diameter threshold. We're always talking about two inches because that's what the CDC picked. Every tick seems to be irritating right at the site of the bite. Quite often you might get a two millimeter, three millimeter, maybe a half inch rash, just from the irritation of the tick, from the chemicals from the tick, the saliva from the tick. CDC was trying to separate the irritation just from a tick and those that indicate disease. In actual practice, you know, you might get one and a half inch uh, rash and, and they're sick and they had a tick bite beforehand and uh, I'm having to use clinical judgment if the, if the rash is under two inches. So back to women, if they don't have that size rash that they're looking for, they might be at a disadvantage and the doctor might not recognize that rash because it's just below the two inch in diameter. Now this study, and this study also found that the appearance of the rash or the, or the color of the rash differed, right, between males and females. There's such diversity in, in rashes. Whenever you do a study, 
you're going to find that um, everybody's interpretation of what is color is important. So even though they observe that uh, rashes what might have been bluer in some of the men, is that uh, I find that depends on the lighting in my office, depends on the color of somebody's skin, is I just know there's a range of colors. I have a few people that have a deep black, deep purple, very intense rash. I have people who have vesicles. You know, they'll have uh, blisters. Uh, not that often do they have the blisters, but behind the knee, they often do. They also found that rashes aren't always just circular. In fact, I find oval rashes are more common than circular. Yeah, in fact, in their study, 40% were oval and that the rashes were irregular. When I talked earlier about disseminating Lyme, they tend to come out kind of as a faint rash. It's not thickened, it's not uh, as red, and it's not as uniform in, in uniform in shape. And some of those early disseminated can be a foot across, and there can be multiple, and there can be overlapping rashes. So they're finding heterogeneity in men and women and uh, it makes it all the more important to be more flexible in what kind of rash you're looking for so you don't overlook Lyme disease. So even though there was concern, it turned out that we get about the same outcome in early disseminated as in early. Now, when I say a good outcome is that some people do really well and some with early rash, uh, some with disseminated rash don't do well. We're uh, talking about these rashes because uh, it's so much easier to treat somebody who presents with early Lyme disease. You know, what, one of the findings that the authors presented that surprised me was um, their statement that just over 50% of the EM rashes were itchy. And I, I thought, well, if the, if the rash is actually itchy, then it's not a Lyme disease rash. Well, I think some of the earlier studies is that whenever it's less than 50%, they just kind of dismiss it saying, oh, only 40% had itchy rash. So I find that quite a few of the rashes I've seen are itchy, but they often are not itchy like poison ivy type itchy. It's also possible that sometimes itch is from the bite itself because the bite's right in the middle. And it creates an annoying, irritating, kind of thickened area that just doesn't seem to want to heal. Another, fi another finding that the uh, authors discussed was that the EM rashes were more likely to occur in harder-to-see body locations, such as behind the thigh and behind the knees. I think that um, it's harder to uh, find it in some areas. So um, sometimes where the crease is behind the knee, where the hip is, it gets confusing as to what's a skin infection and what's Lyme. You'll get a fair amount of people who have an oval rash behind the knee where they think, think it's a cellulitis, which is inflammation of the skin, uh, and they're dismissed there. If it was just a straight-out surface, like uh, on a shoulder, there aren't many places uh, where you get skin infections there. Uh, but there's more confusion in those uh, and it was hard to find areas, hard to access areas. Is there a, a way to distinguish between cellulitis and an EM rash? It can be very difficult. There were three cases described in three different studies in Connecticut where 
They treated for cellulitis. They treated a second time. They treated a third time for cellulitis. And they didn't get control over the illness until they decided that it was Lyme disease. Look for Lyme and diagnose Lyme. When you're at the bedside and you're looking at the skin, sometimes the skin's kind of on a warmer side with a cellulitis. Cellulitis means they have bacteria like staph or strep in their skin. But I can tell you at the bedside, it's, it can be very difficult. So sometimes I tell the patient, it could be either one. So rather than just assuming it's Lyme or just assuming cellulitis, I'll pick an antibiotic that works for both. Now, if I am going to treat somebody for cellulitis after seven days, often the rash goes away. People assume it's cellulitis, but the rash goes away with Lyme disease anyway. I'm just concerned about these seven-day courses of treatment with things like Keflex that don't work for Lyme disease. The rash is gone. The doctor walks away, cellulitis is uh, gone. The doctor doesn't mention that Lyme disease can be the cause of that rash. So months later, the patient shows up with Lyme disease, never uh, being aware that the doctor made a choice to call it a cellulitis, or the doctor may have decided to call it a spider bite. They might have decided that that itchy rash was poison ivy. Just because the doctor calls it something, you know, you have to be aware that it could be something else. Even shingles. Sometimes uh, shingles, what looks like shingles, and we treat for shingles, we treat with an antiviral medicine, is that sometimes I've seen people with shingles turn out to be Lyme disease after all. Another interesting point that the authors discussed was uh, the patient's with darker skin or African-Americans um, may have a harder time recognizing an EM rash or, or any rash. There's been some discussion at the ILADS, the International Lyme and Associated Disease Society, about trying to get more pictures of more rashes uh, so we can have a better uh, feel for the range of rashes. But this fact that the Pacific authors um, made sure they mentioned that issue is, is important to me also. These same authors uh, wrote about a black man who had a what looked like a classic rash, a classic EM rash who wasn't treated at the time. Uh, the picture looked reasonable, but, uh, but the case was not diagnosed right away. So what would you say the takeaway is from, from this study? Well, I'm going to add one more thing before a takeaway, which is that only Lyme disease creates the rash that we're aware of. But as soon as you're aware that a tick bit you, there can be other things in a tick that are important. So you need to look for like anaplasmosis, ehrlichia, a parasite called Babesia, and another bacteria called Bartonella. Even though you're focusing on that rash and you're focusing on Lyme disease, I find that uh, doctors get in trouble if they don't look for the other infections that might tag along with that rash. Even patients focus so much on the rash, they sometimes don't go to the doctor with the other issues uh, until, uh, until, late, until too late. So in summary... I thought these authors did a great job of laying out uh, nearly 300 uh, patients that they've seen. And so even though we've known all along 
that there's diversities of rashes. This kind of program we have in Lyme Awareness Month uh, allows us to discuss an extremely important topic. It's uh, important to um, take every rash seriously, especially this time of year. Well, thank you, Dr. Cameron, for joining us. And we look forward to more more topics this this month and helping raise awareness for Lyme disease and other tick-borne infections. Thank you, Darlene. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe and ring the bell.